Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, tightening the frame. So over these last few months, we've all been chasing pandemic stories when we're not writing about protest. Lane has been looking for narratives off the news, and we wanted to talk about three recent stories to illustrate how to take big subjects and turn them into manageable, quick-turn stories. Often in our newsroom, and probably yours, we are quick to capture trends and issues from this wide perspective. We see something playing out, we make a bunch of calls, we toss in this quote and that quote, we throw in some context, and the stories are okay, but they're not often very memorable. So, for instance, we had a story in the Times about how priests and ministers were helping their parishioners, even when separated by the coronavirus, and even during the most trying times, but Lane went deeper. So let's talk about the chaplain story. And we talked about, this is like not an either or. You don't have to, if one story doesn't preclude you from doing another story, a deeper story. Right, so I wanted to do something about the people who were comforting, the people who were dying in isolation. And I actually had spent time in a hospice a couple years ago, like embedding with the hospice team. So I had some contacts and I called and I asked, you know, what are the chaplains doing there in the hospice situations? And a lot of the people that were visiting people in home hospice had been prohibited from doing that. So they were trying to learn how to Zoom and like minister to people through Zoom. But the care centers where they had people almost like a hospital situation at the end of their life, they still had the chaplains coming in every day. And the chaplains had ended up taking over a lot of the duties of family members and volunteers who were no longer allowed, you know, to come to the hospices. So I I said, I, I know this is probably not possible, you know, in the era of lockdown and coronavirus, but I would love to be there for a day with a chaplain. And they were like, okay. And I was, it was actually really shocking to me because I know the idea of comforting the comforters and comforting people is, is a kind of a big idea in a pandemic. So I thought if I could go really tightly and follow one person who this was on their shoulders, it would illuminate what it was like for a lot of other workers and families in that situation. So, you know, surprisingly, they let us in, we suited up, they took our temperature, you know, we, we had all kind of precautions to go in there, but they let us follow a chaplain in the hospice for a day. So we kind of just went through her shift. And this followed, like I said, a broader story that was a lot of telling, but not a lot of showing. It was a lot of priests and others talking about how they were comforting people via FaceTime and and all these other ways that they were trying to do it. But it, it didn't feel very personal because it didn't really, you didn't get to meet any of the caretakers that deeply. You didn't get to really be there for the conversations. So you know, when we were talking about this with other people on staff, we were discussing, you know, which way to do this story. They were committed to doing that story. And it still left room for Lane going in and doing sort of this day in the life. 
And yeah, it was surprising, but you know, you took precautions, right? You were wearing a face mask. Did you wear the guard, the plastic guard that day? Yeah, we had a face mask and we had a guard and we were socially distanced. And, you know, like I said, they took our temperature when we came in in the morning. And, and um, the other thing that was cool, you know, this the broad brush story that one of my colleagues did was about what it was like for a bunch of different people who were all kind of going through a similar situation. Mine actually surprisingly got to meet a patient too, which was a different perspective. You know, so we follow the chaplain through her day, but at the end you actually get to sit with a dying patient in the middle of this sort of end of life situation. So I I think that brought a different perspective to it too. We weren't going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read just that little snatch of like, so to kind of illustrate that what you're able to do then is to be that fly on the wall and to get closer, to have that moment sort of here's... And again, looking for a narrative off the news, looking for just a piece of, this is what's happening every day now. People are being comforted by strangers because family, they're not able to be there. So anyway, this is just a quick little scene in that story. And um, it talked about finally getting in and, and you could see like a patient who's on her deathbed. I wanted it to kind of feel cinematic. So hopefully it'll be like you're watching something. Just after 1 p.m., she opens the door of room 49. The patient is propped on pillows, watching the Hallmark Channel. On a whiteboard, nurses have filled in the blanks. Your goals today. Comfort. We'd like you to know we care. When Long approaches the bed, the patient tries to sit up. The doctor says you are a very enlightened person. He called you special, Long says. She wants to lean in, touch the patient's hand, but she stays back, social distancing, only able to emote with her eyes. It's simple if you believe in reincarnation, says the patient, which I do. This isn't my first rodeo. It won't be my last. Behind her mask, Long smiles. The patient, who doesn't want to share their name or age, seems so confident, not at all concerned about dying. Where did life start for you? Asked the chaplain. Tell me about your journey. So, of course, Lane would find a patient who believes in reincarnation because, you know, that's just our luck. (laughs) Of course, the person wouldn't give me their name, though. I was like, okay, finally get a great person and they won't give me their name. But but still, you know, that the intimacy that you're able to get in that moment, right? Like, yeah, I think I'd be watching the Hallmark Channel, too, if it was my last day, because, you know, you know, the ending is going to be good one, right? It's going to be positive. But that distance that a lot of our stories have because they're done from this sort of 3,000 foot view and again, a lot of telling and not a lot of showing. So there are, there've been a lot of opportunities during this pandemic to reach for these kind of stories. And obviously this is what you're drawn to. Yeah, and I wanted to be able to observe you know, not only what she was doing, but how it was affecting her and the patient, you know? And you could tell there was this tension between they wanted this human connection, you know, they wanted to be able to touch. I reported afterward, I said, did you smile behind your mask? Because I could tell from her eyes, it looked like she was, but I had to ask because I couldn't see, you know? So that was kind of the observational reporting had to go one step further with a mask on, like what was going on back there? We'll talk about another one. Same sort of situation. People start passing away during the pandemic and we start reporting on the fact that people aren't having memorial services or funerals. They're having to put them off or they're having very small services, that kind of thing. We got word that there was going to be a funeral happening by a lake, social distanced with people connecting with their family via, was it FaceTime, right? Facebook. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And Facebook Live. And um Lane shot out there to go see this. And again, 
sort of find one family's experience to illustrate the bigger, broader thing, right? And that's always what you're drawn to, right? I mean, but it really does bring it home. What do you, because I mean, this family, they're by a lake, they're connecting to people, you know, normally funerals bring you together. Normally it's a way for your family to, to grieve. And again, that sort of loss of intimacy that, we've, that we're having right now, but they were able to capture it a little bit. Yeah, and I think normally too, you know, at a funeral, you have a funeral director or somebody who takes over and does this for the family. And here it was the family trying to figure out what can we do? Who knows how to FaceTime live? Can we get the grandson with the grandmom to help her get on? Because, you know, it was a whole bunch of logistics stuff. And I think when we report stories saying, oh my gosh, people are having, families are having funerals by Zoom, it's one thing. But to show, we got there, you know, 45 minutes early while they were trying to set stuff up and they were back and forth with the technical difficulties and people jogging by the park, like what's going on over here on this table under a tree, you know? So we were able to sort of like really um, zoom in, (laughs) tightly focus in uh, on uh, this one family's situation and the difficulties of it as well as the gratifying part of it. You know, they they wanted to see each other's faces. They wanted to remember their loved one. But it was also like, can you hear me? Turn your microphone on. You know, hey, kids, stop playing over here. We can't see grandma. You know, so it was a lot of like other things happening that, that I think showed how unsacred this process has become, but still how important it is, even when the whole rest of the world has sort of stopped. Do you want to read? We got another little snatch from this story. Yeah. At the park by Round Lake, people wearing masks biked, walked dogs, pushed strollers with happy babies. Beneath a cloudless azure sky, in the midst of the pandemic, life went on. He was a great man, Joe said of his uncle, and so wonderful with the children. From the phone in his wife's hand, he heard his aunt ask, Is anyone taping this? We're trying, his wife whispered, but you've got to mute yourself for now. Joe stepped from behind the table and took the phone. He motioned to his dad, who grabbed his Bible and stood up. Joe aimed the phone at him. It's amazing how quickly we get choked up, isn't it? Asked Tim Kennett, a trucker. He scanned the familiar faces, then opened the worn pages to 1 Corinthians. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. So on the funeral story, Lane had been looking for a funeral, right? Because like we started talking about, and like we often do, what's happening in the world right now? What are the really compelling stories we need to tell? What's missing from our coverage? And I mean, there's so many pain points right now as we're covering this pandemic, so many things that are different and aside from the suffering that people are going through, obviously, but being separated, you know, losing a loved one, not being able to be there, not being able to comfort people the way you normally would. So we were looking for this opportunity. And I will say one of the things that I think sets Lane apart is that when the opportunity is there, she jumps. Like this was a photographer actually who said, hey, I heard about this. It's happening this weekend. This was like on a Friday. He said, Does, is anybody around who can do this on a Sunday? And since we had been talking about it and been looking for one, Lane's like, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> she goes off. Yeah, I, I had called some funeral homes, actually. And I think one of my colleagues had done a story, sort of a survey of funeral homes, what was different, what was happening, how are they treating the bodies and stuff like that in terms of COVID. And the funeral homes wouldn't let me in. And they were the ones 
that would have to broker with the family to let me come cover something if they did do it. So I didn't have that. And then so I think you and I had been talking on channels, you know, through the newsroom that I was interested in the story. And one of the photographers had a neighbor, like you said. So I think, you know, even that kind of like connection, a personal connection, we bypassed the funeral home. We just wait right with the family, which was kind of nice. An offshoot of this is that, you know, there's there's so many opportunities now to use social media to try to find characters to find people who are going through something. So if you see a window and you're thinking that would be an interesting story to tell, reaching out, we use our Facebook pages quite often. We go hunting. Um, you know, we'll have Facebook groups by by the communities where that we're covering. And some of the reporters will drop in messages there and look for people, look for people who are going through some things. I mean, this as challenging as it is to write and to cover in the pandemic, there are opportunities to tell some stories. And and these stories are fairly quick turn. You're done in a day or two once you find the situation you're looking for. So we have another one because really, Lane has been very busy since the pandemic started. But another one was, you know, they shut down uh, Sunday services or you couldn't go to temple, you couldn't go to church. So we were talking about, well, how weird is it then for a minister to have to perform on video or, you know, on to live stream? So again, Lane went hunting to try to find somebody. Yeah, and, and the idea of trying to comfort people in the middle of the pandemic when everybody else is also in it with you, I felt like the minister's roles or the, the, the religious leaders' roles had changed in a way because it was no longer just giving a service, it was giving reassurance, you know, it was giving meaning or like something in these apocalyptic times. And how do you convey that through a Zoom camera in an empty church? You know, that was kind of what I set out to do. And again, a colleague had done this sort of survey story where she talked to people of Muslim faith and Jewish faith and Christian faith and fundamentalist faith and talked about them what they were doing to adjust to the closed sanctuaries, but not like being there on the day when the person is struggling, you know, trying to write. I was actually thinking of a Beatles song where you have Father McKenzie writing the words for a sermon no one will hear. And I kept thinking of that line and writing a sermon to an empty church. So this minister, you know, he was going to do it. I, I called a bunch of different ministers and he was actually going to do it in his church. But he was, he was sitting in his little office writing his sermon in the empty church. And I thought that was a nice scene too, you know, rather than someone at home in their kitchen trying to minister to their flock. So this is part of that story. Last week, First Baptist Pastors started adding daily words of encouragement every morning to the church website and YouTube channel, reaching out to people by phone in the afternoons, going to elderly members' homes to teach them how to see the services. A church broadcast Wednesday night drew 900 views. These are definitely some interesting days, Pastor Randy said during that broadcast. In just a few days, he said, the coronavirus shut down what he called, quote, the three false gods, finance, entertainment, and sports. Without those distractions, Pastor Randy hopes, people might begin to realize what really matters and turn to faith. God is rocking our world right now. Something's good is going to happen from all of this. It's got to. All last week, parishioners kept calling Pastor Randy, panicking about their parents, worrying they won't be able to pay their bills, anxious that they can't find toilet paper. He kept praying for God's guidance. On the third day, he Googled. Which was a nice little twist, right? <laughs> he turned to Google to find the right words. <laughs> exactly. I thought that was so interesting. Like, he's waiting for God's inspiration, so he Googles like the rest of us. <laughs> and that guy, you went hunting there too, right? You were looking around, you were asking colleagues, trying to figure out who knew of a 
pastor who was doing a service. And I think looking for somebody, right, who might be still working out of their church. Right, right. I think I called maybe a dozen different ministers and pastors and stuff to see who was still working on it, who had kind of, this was really early in the pandemic, right? This was still in March, I think. And I think it was also like, who was going to change up what they had been doing versus like going along with the prescribed, like this guy had written his sermon three months earlier for that day, but he decided he had to switch out everything because of what was happening and react to that. So I like that piece of it too. Yeah. You went casting because you thought this is interesting. It's happening all over the place. What is that like? How do you comfort your flock when you don't, again, you, you don't get to touch, you don't get to, to, to hug somebody who needs your, to be consoled for something, you know? How do you do it when you don't have eye contact and when you're not the body language, you're doing it through a screen? You went looking for a character, which is in all of these cases, right? We went looking for somebody who to focus on and thinking that it's a good bet that these would make for interesting stories if you could get the access. Yeah, and I think that's part of, you know, still, I've been doing this 30 years, the hardest part is getting the right character and the right amount of access, you know, and then once you get someone who's going to let you in, seeing what their own backstory is, what do they have at stake in this so that, that you know there's a little bit more than just the scene you set out to tell. But all of these stories, all three of those stories were reported in about a day, written in less than a day, you know, and framed around just a few hours. So I think... The takeaway is I usually work on these like long, wonderful projects that take months and months. And these were all very quick turnarounds, trying to just give a window into all these different worlds uh, that are altering quickly because of what's going on with the pandemic. We talk a lot to people about, you know, trying to use narrative more in their newsrooms and how sometimes narrative to many folks equates long form and that they don't have time for it. This is a perfect opportunity right now during the pandemic to try to do quick narratives off the news because there are so many opportunities. I mean, think about anything that's happening right now and think about who's affected by it. And then all you have to do is cast for a character who will let you in to try to tell that story, whether it's the delivery people who are still out there, the grocery workers who are still working, the people who are trapped inside. I mean. Every point of view, there's just, there are lots of interesting stories out there. And, and as Lane has found, sometimes it's just a matter of asking and they'll say yes. I mean, sometimes you think, oh no, no one's ever going to let me in or they're not going to, would a family really want a reporter at a funeral? But you didn't really have to work that hard to convince folks, right? No, and I think this whole idea of like, we're all in this together has also really helped. Like, I think what I said to the family was so many other families are going through what you're going through right now. It would be really helpful to have a touch point, you know, to, to see how you guys are dealing with this. And it is, it's surprising how many people be like, okay, you know, they'll just let you in. I always try to go a little bit early and stay a little bit late and stuff happens that way. You know, the funeral, there was a nice little moment with the grandfather and this little granddaughter at the end that, you know, after everything had happened. But the tighter the frame, the easier it is to get those wonderful details in and to really paint a picture of what's going on, not only exteriorly, but interiorly, so that you're asking people not only what's happening, but what they're thinking or feeling in those moments. And I think the tighter we can frame it, the less like broad brush we have to do. I don't like net graphs, as you know, but I think you can you can cover a lot of ground in one paragraph about, you know, across Tampa Bay, across the country, across the world, families are going through this and then boom, right back to the service. So one last bit of advice, just read what your newsroom is producing, read the stories that people are writing 
and then look for the deeper moments within those stories, right? As we said, all three of these stories that Lane did, the topics had been written about in a broader fashion. But when you go deep and you're able to focus on an individual or a family or a day, you're really, as she said, able to dig a little deeper. All right, if you have a question for Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Austin Fast. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.